On Cinema Smorgasbord presents How Do You Do Fellow Kids, we look at the life and film career of the always unique character actor Steve Buscemi. Today we're looking at Armando Iannucci's Pitch Black 2017 comedy, The Death of Stalin. Let's go. How do you do, fellow kids? I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the Red Czar, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I don't like being the Red Czar, but I'm pretty good, Doug. <laughs> Doug it's, how I, it's how I think of you, for Doug, sure. Doug, I recently saw people, like multiple people at once in a place, and so I- Was it I at an anti-mask rally? Yes, exactly right. <laughs> I went, everyone was showing their faces and breathing. I I mean, it was a little weird that they had to spit in your mouth for you to get to the rally. Like, <laughs> they wouldn't let you there unless they spit in your mouth. But uh, otherwise, I was in, you know, so in. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I just, I, I had a, a trip and I got to see friends and I went to a few outdoor events. I don't think I'm yet ready for indoor events, but I did some outdoor events and it was great. You know, you know, Doug, I'm a crazy extrovert and i get energy from people i will say though after seven straight days of people post quarantine <laughs> i was my my first thought that that last night was i need to be alone in a hotel room for a night like i just need some isolation because it was like i had overcharged my batteries it was nice to see you uh in person with some of the cinepunks crew at this event it's true it's it's not something that's happened for a whole while and mm -hmm. Even the when I, I you know the first time I saw Josh when I was back we didn't even hug because it was so I just was like yo man what's up and it was only like we we were getting ice cream and I, we were eating our ice cream and then I suddenly <laughs> looked at him and said wait a minute I haven't seen you for almost a year and he yeah, was like right? yeah man and then we just like gave a big hug but when we first saw each other it was just like we were hanging out like normal it was so weird. <laughs> It's one of these things about this quarantine, uh, sorry, the pandemic, uh, the whole period of time, a year and a half or however long it's been, is that it's almost like a lost period of time to a certain extent. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like a period where, I mean, I'm sure for many people who are listening right now, it's just felt extremely long. But in some ways, because so little has happened in a lot of people's personal lives, there's not as much to talk about. It's just like, so what have you been doing for the last year? You know, kind of doing work from home or sitting at home or waiting it out. It's uh, it's been a, I mean, it's either unpleasant things to talk about or not much to talk about. I mean, it helps that we have these podcasts, right? So like, yes. I don't feel like I don't know anything about Josh. I mean, but hopefully I don't feel that way about most of my friends that we've been able to keep up, even if it's spotty in some way with each other. But that physical hangout is so much different. It, it really is. As much as I, I'm not a huge skeptic of the internet. I'm not one of these put your phone down and live your life people. Like I think <laughs> I think that's just a little uh, ridiculous. It is though unavoidably true that spending time with someone in person is just a different experience. You know, it's it's it is uh, a welcome additive to our mostly virtual friendship. I'm a very introverted person, Liam. So there's a part of me that I have not yet had that experience of being within a crowd of people, uh, mostly because uh, Canada is lagging behind with uh, the uh, everyone getting vaccinated. But also, I'm probably not going to be getting my second shot for at least a couple of months. 
Um, but when that happens, I'm actually, it's not that I'm dreading it, but I do have a certain amount of fear of getting into a crowd and, and being around people who are close to me and touching me, that sort of thing. I mean, I'm not going to be going right to an orgy or anything like that, but it's just, <laughs> but you know, just, just rubbing shoulders, even that sort of thing. And you went right to a convention. I mean, it was in an immense outdoor space, so it never felt too busy, but sure. I do, I do, I do think it was at first it was uncomfortable. And then it slowly felt normal. But then I realized the ways that I was avoiding, like I, I was very much avoiding physical contact. Like if, let's say, if I'm in like a crazy, busy city situation and someone right. bumps into me, I don't notice. Like I'm not one of these like, what are you doing? Like That just happens, right? <laughs> right? But here I am at this convention. No one fucking touched me. And if they did, I would have been like, whoa, buddy, what are you doing? Like I, I, I am a little more sensitive than I would have been. But that's that would be different for other people i've always been a crowd person i love right. crowds of people mm-hmm. i don't love always the way crowds of people act but i don't mind being around a bunch of people like it's it feels very natural to me to be around people but i still had a little bit of a guard up at this thing um because even though i'm fully vaxxed it, it's not even just about that it's just not being used to having so many people around so i i, I wouldn't say i was afraid but i was a little more cautious than i would be normally the weirdest thing will be going to see a show, right? Like a concert. Yo, I keep seeing them getting announced. On one hand, I'm stoked on the idea because this is probably the first time ever where you could go to a show and there'll be multiple bands and it's their first show. And right. you'll be excited because they put out a record during the quarantine that was really sure. good. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I saw someone announce an all-day thing that they're doing in July and five of the bands on the fest are like first-time shows. But like the fest is still stacked because all these first time shows put out an EP or a demo or something that's sick. So you're not like, Oh, who are these new jacks? I don't care about. You're like, Oh man, I've been listening to this record for like three months. I can't believe I finally get to see this band. It's, it's, I I don't, I can't remember there ever being a situation like that. So part of me is excited to see all these bands finally play live, but being in a room with people, I, I just think my first show has got to be an outdoor show because I just don't think I could be squished up with people like that yet. And again, I'm not even saying because I'm not trying to deny the science, I guess. I'm just saying psychologically, I'm not ready to get sweated on. That's not where I'm at as a human. <laughs> Liam, there's been a lot of Steve Buscemi news since our last episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. I thought it might be nice to go through it briefly. Uh, one of the uh, news items is uh, about Steve Buscemi hosting a 9-11 tribute at the National Memorial Day concert. Uh, this is upcoming on Memorial Day, of course. Uh, and of course, Steve Buscemi has a direct connection with 9-11 and quite uh, kind of notoriously, uh, he was once a volunteer firefighter and returned to that after the the 9-11 incident. I guess 9-11 incident is kind of a, uh, a a restrained way to say what happened on 9-11, but uh, he actually went to uh, Ground Zero, and uh, I guess they pre-taped a tribute that he's going to be presenting at the Memorial Day concert. He says here, so it says here, I just want to talk a little bit about what happened on September 12th. He says, that after the uh, the events of 9-11, I was able to get down to the site and work with my old company, Buscemi said. It was a privilege to work alongside them and witness the humanity in the face of the greatest evil to see all these people come together, first responders, steel workers, sanitation workers, volunteers, Red Cross, 
Red Cross, it was amazing. He says he wishes every day could be like 9-12 with Americans coming together. Any thoughts on that, Liam? I mean, we've talked a little bit on this podcast before about Steve Buscemi, um, what he did after 9-11. Uh, I, think, I think this is, at this point, kind of common knowledge that he kind right. of went down and, and joined the first responders and, I guess, and the second responders and, and the firemen at the time to try to assist kind of directly. Uh, any thoughts on him uh, kind of presenting this tribute? I mean, 100% it's a symbol of what a, in my mind, great sort of human he is, that he's still willing to do this and is so committed. Uh, and I think as a New Yorker, I'm not surprised he felt it this way. I, I, right. I think there's a lot of people from New York who otherwise aren't really rah-rah people who like 9-11 affected them and probably still affects them. I think for me, you know, I'm just a skeptical person. So part of me is kind of like... <laughs> You know, the the, the horror, I, I don't think anyone should downplay the horror of 9-11, even if they're like a super I hate America person, like lies were lost and it was very scary. I think the balance is always to say, I wish we would stop inflicting 10 times worse terror on other people. That for whatever story Steve Buscemi has about 9-12, someone somewhere else has a similar story about a bomb we dropped or yeah. or funded if we didn't drop it directly. And so, like, you know, I get it. You know, his, his, his point here is, like, a reminder that, like, you know, that they're – even if you are someone like me who is more to the left and more skeptical of this country, the humans who are down there moving rubble trying to find people are not your enemy. And I and I think that is an important reminder for folks because I think we can get on either side of an issue and, and dehumanize each other. And the reality is, while I think uh, it's, a, it's not good to be uh, uh, in the army or a police officer, uh, the reality is even those folks uh, – can at times show good behavior and show right. good things. And I think that's way more true of file firefighters and uh, EMS and steel workers and all the other people who are down there. But I do think like it's not true that everyone who gets involved in the more violent versions of service are monsters. So, you know, as much as I think their role eventually causes them to become a monster, uh, I, I, I think it's it's so easy to dehumanize people. Sure. But again, that was the problem with 9-11, right? We got this huge wound, and then that wound allowed us to dehumanize two countries, <laughs> not even yeah. just one, two, right. that then we could bomb and everyone would applaud. And so, I, you know, I think as much as I, I do take this really seriously, and I think it shows really the integrity and, and character of Steve Buscemi, I'm like, yeah, well, let's also bring that energy to all the other things that we did and think like, well, the, those people are actually probably acting for good reasons and we should keep that in mind. I think in the fallout of tragedy, a lot of people like they look to themselves and be like, what can I do? Right. What, right, what is right. it I'm able to do? And it, I think it's very interesting that Steve Buscemi, his response was, well, I have the skill. And maybe it's something that they could use right now because they need as many hands as possible. And he went and, and kind of directly uh, got involved, you know? And I mean, if it was a different actor, there might be a little bit of glad handing or like uh, promotion that you might think. But the fact that people didn't even know about it for years and years seems to suggest that there was a very sincere thing to do. And obviously, it's something that he still feels a strong connection with since he's uh, doing this uh, this kind of presentation at well, Memorial Day. I, I, it, it feels real because of who he is, right? You know, yes, like, exactly. You know, like uh, uh, Sean Penn in a boat after Katrina is like, come on, man. Like you, this is not your skill set. Like you could have done something much more impactful with your money. And, but Buscemi, going back to Volunteers of Firefighter, 
Terminator. That's who he is. Like he did that. You know, it doesn't feel like a costume. It doesn't feel pretend. It feels like part of his character. Liam, TBS has released a trailer for the third season of their hit comedy series, Miracle Workers. Now, this is a show that we've talked about before. It is, I guess it's, you would describe it still as an anthology series in that every season is a new story, but it has the same cast in kind of different uh, um, settings uh, and and different storylines. So this season is titled Oregon Trail, and uh, it's about American pioneers. Stars Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter himself, Liam. Uh, as well as Geraldine Viswanthan, uh, Karen Sony, and Steve Buscemi. Uh, we watched the trailer for it. Liam, what did you think of the trailer for the Oregon Trail season of Miracle Workers? It doesn't seem funny, Doug. No, there's it nothing, doesn't. There's That's nothing true. in the trailer to sell me on the humor, and there aren't enough bits about the characters to make me want to watch it for the characters. So I'm not sure why I would watch it. But to be fair, um, neither one of us, I mean, you haven't watched it at all. At all, that's true. I haven't watched season two, so I still don't understand how they transition from season one to season two. What kind of humor is in the show? I mean, the, the the trailer makes it look very corny, and I'm okay with corny humor if it's consistent, but is that what the show is kind of about? That's my memory of it. I mean, I haven't watched it since it came out, that first season, but my memory was that it was very goofy, and some of that really worked. You know, Steve Buscemi in season one plays God, and he's very much like a hands-off, this is too much trouble, just leave me alone, slacker God. That all really worked for me. Um, whereas Radcliffe was playing a much more like sincere character, and not all the humor around that like really held up for me per se. But um, uh, yeah, it is kind of a I don't want to say dad humor, but it is a bit goofy in 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 its tone, or at least that first season was. But again, the reason I bring up season two is to say perhaps the way that they've transitioned from season one to season two is compelling enough that I'm automatically sold on season three because that's the tenor of the trailer is the sort of trailer you would expect from a show that everyone already loves. Right. So they don't have to sell you anything because they're like, hey, we're back. Here's what's different. See you soon. That is how the trailer is. And I'm thinking, does anyone watch the show? I've never heard anyone talk about this show ever. <laughs> and so I don't know why you guys are taking such a such a relaxed version of this trailer that really feels like it's cool. We know you're going to watch anyway, so we don't have to do anything. I mean, I guess the people who watch it and love it already love it. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's not a show that I hear a lot of people talking about. It doesn't have a lot of heat around it. I mean, I, I'll still probably check it out simply because I do like that cast. But it's the kind of show where if that first episode doesn't grab me, I, it's going to be hard to continue on with it. Because especially because it's a season long arc, right? Yeah, I don't. Uh, again, I, I want to say critical things because the trailer really didn't hit me very hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in reality, what do I know? I have no idea yeah. how this could possibly work because I don't understand how they got to season two, like the way <laughs> that season one was. And I, and, I, and I'll be honest, Doug, I'm not even 100% sure I finished season one. <laughs> I'm not sure that I did because I was watching it solo. It wasn't like a me and the wife show. It was just me. I'm not even sure that I finished it. So I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it... it it, if I do watch it again, it will be because of Steve Buscemi. You know what I'm saying? Like, that will be the compelling thing for me to go back to. Liam, rather uh, notoriously on this show, and all the shows on the Cinema Smorgasbord Network, um, you are a hardcore punk. Oh, God. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear your wife laughing in the background. <laughs> As a punk, Liam, oh, you God. must love pink. 
See, uh, <laughs> the pop star Pink, who has a punky attitude. You mean um, you mean Doylestown's own Pink? That's right. That's right. You said that uh, the reputation. I think on another one of our shows, you said that she's a good person. She's got a good reputation. I have no idea. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, people people from Doylestown seem to remember her. That that's that's a real thing. She's from Doylestown. But as far as like what that means, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't remember. Well, the reason I bring up uh, punky pop star Pink is because I hate you so much. <laughs> recently on the Tonight Show with uh, Jimmy Fallon, she mentioned that she's been convinced for twenty years that Steve Buscemi hates her. We're talking about how nice of a guy Steve Buscemi is. Apparently, he hates Pink uh, because before she found fame, she was aggressively annoying to him on the streets of New York City. Uh, she so I didn't know if you knew this. I actually didn't. Her name, Pink, was at least in some way influenced by the character of Mr. Pink that Steve Buscemi played in the film Reservoir Dogs. And so she was dressed, she says, this is a, a quote from Pink, she was dressed in a silver ensemble, had pink, uh, short pink hair and a tongue ring, and she was like, you're Steve Buscemi and you're Mr. Pink and I'm pink and you're pink and I'm going to be famous and so I just love you. And his response was, what the fuck? Ah! And uh, I guess he, she freaked her, uh, him out. And uh, and now she still <laughs> I like how I thought that this uh, this this story that she has was going to end with oh and then they talked to each other and he was like oh I don't remember that or I do remember that and I didn't care but no they haven't met since so to this day apparently <laughs> Pink thinks that Steve Buscemi hates her or dislikes her I would actually think that probably Steve Buscemi does not think about this incident as much as she does. Oh, 100%. He doesn't remember it at all. Uh, in fact, probably at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if he knows who Pink is and yet doesn't remember <laughs> that one time he met her because this is before she was famous. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if someone pointed this story out. He'd be like, oh, that was Pink. The, the st- oh, okay. No, I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, look. Am I a little surprised that they don't know each other because I assume all famous people know each other? Yeah, a little bit. But I'm also, I guess, not that surprised that there haven't been that many parties that someone was like, okay, make sure you invite Steve and, uh, oh yeah, and Pink, invite Pink to, uh, I don't know, who else is that? Who's at a party that Steve Buscemi and Pink are both at? I guess Quentin Tarantino and maybe Questlove? I don't know. I don't know how that works. (laughs) Also, it's so strange that in her quote, she's like, I'm Pink and you're Pink. And I'm going to be so famous. That's that would be an overwhelming thing for someone to say to me. <laughs> that, and she yeah. was right. I mean, she became super famous. This was a few years before Moulin Rouge, and uh, I guess her first hit was like in 2000. So it must have been right around the time that she did become famous. Uh, yeah, it is a. I, I just like the idea that even a very extremely famous person, that they might have an incident that has embarrassed them that they've carried with them for 20 years. I also think it's funny when famous people admit that they've always wanted to be famous. Yeah. Like, a, a lot of famous people pretend that they're just good at what they do, and that's how they became famous. So I like that Pink was like, no, getting famous was on the table from the beginning. Like, that was the point, was to be famous. Liam, we're here today to talk about 2017's The Death of Stalin, directed by Armando Iannucci, a film that I'd seen previously, we both seen previously, already had a lot of feelings about. Um, I think what we should do is let us take a break. When we return, we're going to talk about The Death of Stalin. This is your work, is it? Why? Are there spelling mistakes? Do you have any idea what kind of man Beria is? He's releasing people from prison. That was my idea. I was going to do that. I'm the reformer. Me. Don't you fucking laugh at me. 
I was going to release the bishops. I thought you hated the church. I do. Just tell me it's not true. Did you write this? Stalin killed my family. My friends, Zinaida Reich, Kuperchinsky. Ku you knew Kuperchinsky? I should have you shot just for saying his name. Comrade Nikita Sergeyevich, you know me. No. I stop. No, I, I, I don't know you. You don't know me. You fucking taught my niece piano lessons. That's it. Don't you see what Barry has done now? He's tied me to you. We are tied together. Like a, like a rock that's sinking. And... But I'm confident of everlasting life. Fuck in their right mind with one everlasting life. The endless conversation. Moscow, 1953. After being in power for nearly 30 years, Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin takes ill and quickly dies. Now the members of the Council of Ministers scramble for power. It's the death of Stalin from 2017, directed by Armando Iannucci. If you are not familiar with his career, you might be familiar with some of his work, including uh, The Thick of It, the uh, television series, the film In the Loop, uh, the TV series Veep, the recent series Avenue 5, as well as his film uh, The Personal History of David Copperfield, which came out last year. Written by Iannucci, uh, David Schneider, Ian Martin, and Peter Fellows, some of his regular collaborators on a variety of those shows and adapted by a from a I should say a French comic book called The Death of Stalin uh, written by Fabian Nouri who I guess also wrote the original screenplay that uh, that these uh, gentlemen worked on uh, I did read the comic by the way Liam we'll talk about it in a little bit the cast stacked a few Americans uh, in here including Jeffrey Tambor the disgraced Jeffrey Tambor and of course Steve Buscemi and also some familiar faces if you are familiar with uh, the UK comedic scene but also some dramatic uh, uh, actors here but we have michael palin andrea uh, riseborough from uh, from mandy is here as well rupert friend jason isaacs and simon russell beale as beria who uh is really kind of one of the central characters that the film kind of revolves around liam this is a film that we had both seen previously want to get your take on it what did you think of the death of stalin the first time I saw this movie, I thought it was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen in my life. There's something about the combination of really dark tone. Like this is a, uh, I think he described it as pitch black. Uh, this is this is dark humor. This is humor about death and suffering and uh, the foolish people who lead the world. Uh, it is it is a film that makes jokes out of things that maybe feel like they shouldn't be jokes uh and yet a lot of it the actual jokes are silly there's slapstick moments there's pun humor there's just so much here that is so goofy without ever being stupid for me that it's just top to bottom a hilarious film on this watch it's still funny to me still hilarious i still found myself laughing um, however, I, I, I don't know. I, I, this time I found myself a little bit more thinking, is it okay to be making as many jokes as we are about all this suffering, about all this death, about all this oppression? Uh, and also, in what ways is this part of just a continuing refusal to actually engage with the Cold War and like what was going on? You know what I mean? Um because I just feel like one of the things I've noticed lately is, uh, you know, during the whole Trump administration, right, there were all these concerns about Trump working with Russia. And it was so easy for the uh, blue wave types who were very concerned about that to slip into all these like USSR jokes. I don't yeah. know if you ever noticed that, but yep. despite the fact that there hasn't been a USSR for like almost 30 years, uh, 
uh, or about 30 years. I don't know, whatever uh, the yep. timing on that is. Um, we're still making those jokes because it's been so ingrained into our culture to be like, these fucks over here in Russia are the fucking worst. And I mean, you hear politicians still refer to it yes. as communist Russia. Yes. I mean, Ted Cruz last week said that Putin was a communist. Just such, I mean, just. Oh, my God. It's the uh, it the things that we can't engage with. Russia is not in any way communist because you don't have to be communist to be bad. We you can still hate that country if you want. That's not even my major concern. It's the way that we all of the propaganda that we created in order to create the Cold War. We needed yeah. mm-hmm. we needed an enemy to fuel the the military machine, and so we propped up Russia. Who post World War II, just in case people didn't know this, were not trying to fight anyone. They were doing everything they could to try to get us on their good side because they knew that if we did want to start a war with them, they would have fucking lost, man. They didn't have any resources left. They barely had people to fight in the army left. And yet we propped them up because we needed a fucking straw man in order to justify our own fucked up shit. And so, like, all of that fucking propaganda machine that we word up is still going. So that, like, I have – I'm not even talking about Republicans or – or shitty Q people or stuff like that. I I know people that I would otherwise consider not just friends but allies who've sure. straight up said to me that all communists should die because they're evil. Because they still live in that framework. It still lives with them. People who are totally comfortable voting for certain kinds of social programs are still like but actual communists are almost not human and that's all a leftover as opposed to being like we were in an ideological struggle with a big country we were afraid of mostly for no reason until we did have a reason which was round about the time stalin died actually but uh 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 you know whatever whatever it is you know or or even acknowledging the fact that it was probably our propaganda machine and the way we ramped up all the fears that allowed stalin to stay in power because uh russia was fucking terrified that we were gonna unite the western world against them um and so like yeah you'll put up with any sort of evil like monster if he makes you feel like you're safer uh, than you would be without him. Let's ignore all of that. So so anyways, I don't think this movie needs to deal with all those things, but seeing how all of this Russia stuff is still on our minds, even now, Trump isn't even president anymore, and people are still, like, anything happens on the internet, they're like, it's Russian bots, Russian bots! <laughs> and you're like, eh, probably not, you know, probably not. Uh, and so, like, knowing all that psychological stuff is going on, this movie was a little less funny for me, uh, which sounds like a huge criticism. Let me be clear. When this movie came out, I thought it was maybe the funniest movie I'd seen in a decade. Like, I just thought it fucking slayed. And so now on rewatch, all I'm saying is it's a little less funny because I'm worried about these things. It's still mostly funny. I mostly laughed through the movie, but the, the part of it that's like, do I feel like I want to Google the French writers of the comic book to make sure they're not secretly right wing as much of France is, you know, like liberal France, you know, and then if you turn out they're racist or something, you know, like that. that's, yeah, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little like, I hopefully this isn't meant to be some sort of weird propaganda piece. Um, but that being said, even if that was the original intent of the comic, Ianucci lifts the material up regardless. In fact, uh, uh, and I think we'll get to the differences between the movie and the comic in a little bit, but this movie, I know a lot of the humor here is because of him. So like, even if I'm a little skeptical of the subject matter, Ianucci just can't help himself. His comic timing is 
brilliant. In fact, I would argue there might be parts of the movie that aren't even supposed to be funny that are still like some of the darker murdery moments of the film that maybe are supposed to remind us of the serious subject matter still can be a little bit funny. They still have a little bit of timing that's like really good. So I I, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm a little less excited about the movie overall than I was when I first saw it. And yet... I laughed the whole time. And it's a funny fucking movie with, by the way, some amazing performances, including our man, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a second. I do take some umbrage with what you're saying because of your use of our and we. Sure, right. right. You're, Cana- at- you're Canadian, so it doesn't count for you, right? Well, it, I'm not saying that it doesn't count for me. It's not like there's no anti-communist propaganda that hit Canada, and it might not have been as aggressive as it was in the States, but certainly a lot of those feelings bleed over. We we, we consume a lot of the same media. So, you know, I mean, it's not like the, the same kind of thought process isn't here. And you and, and the furor uh, against Russia, um, even in recent years, it has come strongly from uh, Canadian politicians as well on both sides of the spectrum. But I really, it's, it's about the combination of influences on this film that I have the most difficulty with the we and our, which is that, again, this is... Uh, a gentleman from the UK directing sure. it, right, right. adapting a French comic. There's a lot in there that isn't as simple as, uh, or, or I shouldn't say simple, I suppose, but it doesn't have that same background that you're necessarily speaking of. And that there's a lot that's been said about American politics and UK politics. And uh, Armando Iannucci has investigated that in detail on Veep, on The Thick of It, yeah. on In the Loop, which kind of combines both of them. And... <sighs> I think he wanted to take that same lens to a specific part of history and a specific uh, different political system. But by casting the who he has in this, he makes it reflective of, oh, this is the fucked up thing that was happening in Russia in the 1950s after the death of Stalin. But it's representative of the same sort of thing that happens all over the world. And that is more... A re- representative because of the fact that he has these actors with these accents all talking about it at the same time. The thing that I agree with you on is this being real people talking about real events in history that sometimes are not necessarily adapted exactly as they happen because it's meant for comedic purposes. But when you kind of stray from history and especially when you talk, when you get so dark that you're talking about secret police and torture and murders, it gets so dark at times that it's hard to laugh at it or you feel guilty for laughing at it. Sure. And I feel guilty sometimes watching like Doctor Strange Love, right? Because it's the the material in that is so dark at times, and a lot of what Yanushi has done in his films has been compared to Doctor Strange Love. But the the difference between In the Loop and this film is that In the Loop is even though a lot of it is kind of based on the temperature of the world, it's all made up. Here you're already basing it on a, a comic that's based on real events, but they are real events with real people. So when you laugh at this joke about a torturer, like not taking it seriously that someone's being tortured or that uh, people are so nervous for their positions that they're willing to kill for it. Well, that's a, that actually happened. And that, it's not right. that funny if, if you were involved in it. So the fact that this film ended up being banned in Russia, that the people who are the children of some of the people in this uh, movie, obviously some of them are just hypocrites because their family members were pieces of shit or they're apologists for a regime that murdered millions and millions of people. But there's also an element of, you know what, if they were making this about the darkest period in the history of my nation about like the genocide against indigenous people in Canada that if I was an indigenous person, I might be really uncomfortable with that. And as a Canadian, I might be uncomfortable with that. So it's, it's ma- that- I think the, 
sorry, yes, please. It's that double-edged sword, though, that's so interesting, right? Like, on one hand, I do think, like, there might be some justified criticism of the film um, uh, uh, that is ideologically based. On the other hand, you know, the things I read, a lot of the people in Russia who are complaining are Stalin apologists. And, like, if your argument with the movie is, I don't know, was Stalin so bad, you have yeah. no legs to stand. Like, exactly. Stalin was bad. Now, is it possible that in the West it's hard for us to access how bad he was? Because on one hand, we have our propaganda machine, you know, which was pretty ramped up about him. And on the other hand, his whole, part of his badness was lies. So it's really hard to get at the truth when the whole thing was meant to obscure the truth all the time. So it's, it's you know... Yeah, it's complicated to some extent. But again, it's worth keeping in mind for the few people listening who haven't seen the film. It's it's about the time after his death. And so and maybe that was part of the problem for me. Maybe a movie that was more making fun of Stalin uh, would have been easier for me because he is like such an obvious monster, you know, and and obviously we're seeing the shadow of his monstrosity in the fear of all these people and their inability to access reality. Like no one can say what they really think because they're always worried that they're going to die for saying what they yeah, really think. Right, right. And it creates, I, I mean, I, I don't want to put myself above this humor either. I laugh at the ways that, for example, Michael Palin is like, he can't say he keeps going back and forth on what he's saying because he's so deathly afraid. Yeah, that joke is funny, but also it, maybe it's not funny. <laughs> and 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 then the reason I was saying we, Doug, and and I think this does apply in a sense in that uh, I don't know that there is are many people who were on one side of the Cold War, whatever that side was, who didn't participate in the sort of caricature of the USSR and whatever their allies that allowed them to ignore the nuances therein or ignore like the humans that were living there. And so that's my pause. That's where the pause comes from for me is remembering like, like, as you said, the real people, but also like the ways that um, maybe this kind of humor allows us to ignore our own history in relationship to this. You know what I mean? Like, like when I'm watching this and I'm thinking like, so one of the things that the film makes a joke about is Stalin killing all his doctors. And to be fair, it's a sanitized joke, right? Because in reality, Stalin focused on Jewish doctors because he was an anti-Semite. You know, so it's it's even worse than the movie makes it out to be because it's it's tied to the ways that Russia was intimately related to the protocols of Zion and anti-Semitism sure. and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But then another part of me is like, yeah, but the idea that the U.S. might get to a doctor and get them to try to kill a Russian official is like not totally made up that we right. like did shit like that all the time. And that's the part that always kind of bums me out. It's like it's really easy to caricature the fucking uh, paranoia that ran these countries and then ignore the ways that we probably feel that paranoia by doing some truly insane, vile shit. Like, we did that shit. And so, like, it's it's like a weird... And now, again, I'm not saying the movie is obligated to show that, but it does make it a little less hard for me to just absentmindedly laugh at what's going on when I'm thinking, like, ugh, look at this complicated situation, whatever, whatever. And none of that takes away from, I think, the script or the performances. It's just a layer that stands between me and my first response to the film the first time I saw it, which is just like, oh, my God, this film is fucking hilarious, you know? Also, I'm, I'm a little weird about Jeffrey Tambor now, too. But yeah, we'll get to that that, well. that's it tough. We'll talk about that in just a second. I just want to just kind of plumb the darkness a little bit because um, when this movie gets really dark, 
really dark. And it does. It goes into like mass deaths and, and people being murdered for no reason and secret police and all that. It does, I think, take those moments mostly seriously. Um, in that it's able mostly to switch back and though. forth. Yeah, I know, though. I know. But when it comes when it comes to like regular people, and that's I think this is one of the the keys of it too, is that yeah. these these politicians are all their machinations are having an effect on people who have no power whatsoever and are complete victims in this. And you know, one of the demonizations of the Cold War was that all communists are evil, and when really a lot of people are just ordinary people trying to live their lives in you know very oppressive circumstances. There's a part in this movie uh, very early on where a uh, an apartment building is rushed by the secret police and people are brought in for I mean questioning, torture, who knows? And you you see as the secret police are going in that they've been directed towards somebody by a young man, and then you see an older man get brought out and that older man looks at the young man as he comes out, obviously recognizes him. And this is just like a single moment later on in the movie, uh, after the death of Stalin as a symbolic gesture, they release the prisoners that they recently had arrested as a, as a kind of a way to build goodwill. And you get this one moment of this older man coming home where his wife is like uh, sitting with this young man, obviously his son who has, fingered him and put him in prison and it, there's no follow-up on it whatsoever it's just this realistic scenario where someone has been accused of something arrested for it then has to come home and live with the person who has accused them that is like that's played incredibly seriously but on the comical side of that you have michael palin's character whose wife has been disappeared and raped and just treated like shit. And, and basically he's been told that she's dead because she was, uh, uh, she in some way wronged Stalin and he takes Stalin's side on it to the point where they're there. Uh, him and, uh, and, uh, Khrushchev played by Steve Buscemi in the film are insulting her as she is brought back to him by Beria. Um, because of course she wasn't killed. She's just going to be used as a political pawn. The people in this movie, the regular people, that's all they are. They're just grist for this political machine, but it doesn't make any of these politicians more uh, secure. It, well, it does. The only security they have is their ability to have a counter move to the moves played against them. And I think that is more universal politically that the people who are the uh, victims in all of this are the people who are, are regular people. And, and I think that is something that is meant to be seen as universal, even though this is about a specific instance in history. Yeah, and I don't think um, it's worth beating the movie up, even for the people who maybe are concerned about the, the ways that it plays out kind of politically in, in our current situation where we're feeling very alienated from Russia. Sure. Based on maybe... Well, it's not based on nothing either, and that's I think part of the complication, right? All of the all of the misnomers of Russia right now as being communist feel very alienating, but that doesn't necessarily mean the current government governing body of Russia is cool. In fact, I would argue it's pretty damn bad. Yeah. But but it's also true that we don't see the way that it's bad because we're too busy seeing the fucking. Uh, the USSR still, even though that doesn't really apply and, anymore. And when, and when Russia comes back at American like uh, uh, anger with saying "you guys are such hypocrites," it's hard to combat that because yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and not just of course America. I mean every country to a certain extent, but certainly you get a lot more of that from America. Let's move on from some of our difficulties with the kind of dark material of history, and let's talk sure. about these performances. You mentioned Jeffrey Tambor. I I called him disgraced actor at the beginning, and I didn't mean that comically whatsoever he uh he has been 
mostly canceled uh, for some of his actions. I, I, I can't remember a lot of the details. I apologize, Liam. I think he... I, maybe we shouldn't dive into it since I can't remember it in detail, but uh, he did some bad shit. And... I mean, my, my understanding was simply that there, he, there were some difficult ways that he related to his trans co-stars on a trans show. Yes. So that's the problem one. And then there were accusations of sexual misconduct. Right. Uh, which, you know... If we're going to believe people, which I think we should, then we just have to take that seriously. I I didn't personally delve into the details, but... Um, I you know I do know it was enough for them to move on with the show without him. Uh, his performance here is pretty good, but that's my issue, right? Is that like um, I like Jeffrey Tambor, and that's why it really bums me out. Yeah, he's been part of is, of like yeah. of at least two amazing comedy shows. I have yeah. I haven't watched uh, the was it Transparent the show that it's it's very good actually. Yeah, that's, that's my good. understanding. But of course now it's almost impossible to go back and watch. Um, so the 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 collection of actors that we have here, I think they're probably universally excellent. I actually think that Jeffrey Tambor might be the weakest in this, but mostly because his character is a little weak comparatively. Uh, but do you have any opinions, aside from Steve Buscemi's character, any other performances stand out uh, to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I again, uh, perhaps it's an unfair caricature of this person, but Michael Palin is amazing. Like, I just think... He's, he's really good. He owns it. And uh, Simon Russell Beale, that is an actor that I'm not familiar with. Like, he looked vaguely familiar, but I wouldn't have gone in saying, like, oh, I'm a big fan. But, you know, that character needs to be menacing, but in a comedy Right, you know what I mean, like, and and we've already talked about how there's a dark edge to the film, and he needs to be able to ride that edge. And I feel like his performance is great. It's possible that the character maybe needs needed uh to be a little more one thing or the other, but that has nothing to do with his performance of the character, which I think was really good, like super strong. In fact, I don't know that there's a weak performance on the whole central committee uh and even the side people we get the various soldiers and stuff right, right. they don't do a lot but every time they like nail what they're doing you know what i mean like yeah, yeah, there, yeah. there's there's no one who i feel like is kind of phoning it in and uh jason isaacs as uh <laughs> as zukov fucking it's it's the only for me truly ridiculous performance in a sense like when he first shows up he's chewing everything i guess the sun is too and and i'd have to say the sun is maybe uh i don't know if the performance is bad but just the writing on the sun i didn't find him funny i didn't find a lot of that those parts of the narrative very funny right Uh, especially compared to his sister who is hilarious yes um and so that maybe that's a little bit of left down but when zukov shows up you think this is too big this movie doesn't need a performance this big and yet no it's good from moment from moment one i was in with uh jason isaacs and especially the scene where he's basically uh fucking with khrushchev yes so good. I, I even on second watch, it made me die. I thought it was so great. So yeah, Jason Isaac brings this very unique energy in the movie, yeah. and he doesn't show up till about halfway through. But yeah, he owns it so hard. But particularly because he, you've seen all of these kind of weaselly politicians with these machinations, and he's just this massive force that doesn't he obviously has no respect for any of them and is willing to take control in a way that none of them are willing to take control i mean obviously still a despicable person but but in a way that's a lot more fun to 
watch in terms of the way that he interplays. And that uh, that scene with Khrushchev is a really good example of that. Well, I think even if we're saying like he's a despicable person, it's like, yeah, but what's the measure of morality, right? Yeah, right. He's at least fully himself. Like, part of what makes these characters so disgusting, and it's probably what's hard for even people who are critical of Russia maybe to identify with, is like, they seem to lack any humanity like they've been so beaten down by stalin they've been so forced to become these like lying uh political types and what you get from zukov is he runs the army that like stalin was probably never trying to kill him and you even get the feeling that if he did try to kill him zukov would have taken a few guys out with him you know what i mean like he's one of the few people who's like look i'm not afraid you know, and that alone, even though you're right, there's no indication that that makes him morally good. He's probably a you know a, a war criminal in his own way, but just his his feeling of like, I am who I am, and like if you don't like it, well, we can fucking fight about it. That at least just makes him more relatable. Whereas so many of these other characters, they're just are so afraid. It's a cringy film. It's so yeah, cringy. It is absolutely, and you understand why they're so cringy, but it's hard to watch. And he brings in this note that's totally different, and it's kind of a breath of breath of fresh air. Even if hopefully it doesn't make you think like, oh, he's a hero. Like, nah, he's probably also a monster, but he's at least more morally defensible. He knows who he is. Like that's something more defensible than these other people. I just like the idea that in a system where so many of, or if not most of, the political figures are so vile that Khrushchev is considered the progressive one of the group, right? <laughs> and that he has a progressive mindset. Because Beria, I mean, in real life, uh, the Beria uh, played by Simon Russell Beale here was a pedophile and uh, uh, like the, those rape charges are not exaggerated they found corpses under his building that were covered in limestone of children and i mean he was a monstrous person and at the end of this movie this monstrous person is uh killed i mean that, that's not much of a spoiler it is based on a historical incident but it's it's not like it's this is the solution to a problem right all it is is oh he's vile but all these other people they a they just make jokes about it they don't even care that he's doing this shit uh, and B, most of them are in the same category of horrible that he is. He just happens to be a, uh, I guess, a, an extra depth of vile to the rest of them. Uh, I want to mention just quickly that this, uh, we mentioned it already, I should say, that this is based on a comic book. I did read it. Uh, there's not much to say about it. It's really good. And it also really does kind of uh, create the skeletal structure of this film in terms of the plot notes and the way that the characters are defined are very very similar just like this film it starts with the orchestra uh very with uh, patty considine in the movie who's terrific as well in in a, in a brief part um where they have the orchestra that uh stalin is listening to it on the radio and he wants a copy of it even though it wasn't recorded so they have to keep everybody there to do another uh, another performance and record that instead and that is based on a real life incident, though it didn't happen when it happens in the film uh, chronologically. But it starts with that. It ends with the death of Beria. It has a lot of the same items, uh, sorry, the same plot points that we see in the film. I will say that uh, the comic is less funny. It's still comedic. It's still a, a comic, <laughs> comic, I should say. But uh, it does not take the same style of humor that Iannucci has here. And a lot of that is based on the performances, on the choice to have the actors speak with their own accents instead of putting on some sort of Russian accent, which I think was the right decision, by the way. It's funnier, especially with Jason Isaacs, even putting on not his natural accent to, to uh, make, kind of play up his toughness all the more. Uh, I think that those decisions were helpful in making it uh, more comic. But I wonder... 
if the more restrained comic tone of the graphic novel, the comic, is more appropriate for the material than the more broad comedy that's in the film, I actually don't have an answer to that. I read both. The movie's funnier, no doubt about it. But maybe the movie wouldn't be what it is without the comic. In fact, it wouldn't, because that's what kind of creates the movie. It's an adaptation. So it's a really uh, odd thing to sort of talk about. Uh, we've talked about the movie at length at this point, Liam. I think we should talk about the performance of Steve Buscemi as Nikita Khrushchev. Oh, the, the, and the reason I wanted to bring up the comic, I should say, is that Khrushchev's role in the comic is much more reduced than it is in the film. Oh, He's is that very, right? very much a minor character compared to how he is in the film, where I would say that you make a case that the two leads in this film are Simon Russell Beale and Steve Buscemi. Those are the two people that you kind of... Uh, there, are, there are characters that come in and out of the film that you remember very well, but those are the ones that play against each other, I think, at, uh, at kind of the core of the political machinations. What was your opinion on Steve Buscemi's performance in The Death of Stalin? He's great. He's so fucking good. I love... He nails perfectly the idea that, like, um, Khrushchev is sort of coming to terms with the idea that he has some sort of power. That, like, his that prior to Stalin's death, he clearly is just watching his back and he's being funny. You know, Stalin thinks I'm funny. I'm going to be funny and I'm going to try not to end up in a gulag or dead. Uh, and then suddenly he, like, is moving into this sense of authority and the movie on one hand affirms that right like some of the moments where he realizes he can do something you kind of as an audience go with it a little bit but the film is always quick to remind you like that doesn't make him a good person right it, it's probably better than Berea who is by all measure an inhuman monster and 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 is the worst case scenario that that could come into power right uh so khrushchev seems better than that but uh but he's truly one of these characters that like as much as you are focused on him and you're focused on who he is in the world at no moment does the movie try to make him honorable trustworthy you know like it's right. still he's still motivated by self-interest even if he's moving from a self-interested beaten up dog to a self-interested possible leader uh uh that that and and Buscemi does that Buscemi manages to be more human than the other people and more interesting than some of the other people and yet still never falls over into like, eh, Khrushchev's not so bad. You're the whole time he's still like, no, oh, this guy's a fucking creep, but you know what he, he he's not quite these other motherfuckers who are the worst ever. <laughs> and so like I, I don't know. I love that. I thought he was funny in it. I think his whole vibe, I guess like some people might be a little surprised because his he's off like everyone else is so British. The whole thing feels very British. And yeah. then here's Steve Buscemi being very Steve Buscemi, you know? Yeah. It didn't bother me at all. I It, it actually kind of added to it. You know, I, I don't know. He has a kind of style about what he's doing. And there are some moments when he, <laughs> when they're at the fucking funeral and he's yeah. like, let's switch positions. Yeah, that is amazing. <laughs> amazing. I don't think of Buscemi too often as a physical actor. And yet that little moment is some of the best physical comedy I've seen in years. It's so magical. I don't know. I just think, uh, you know, everyone is good. I, I, you know, I made that clear that I think everyone is good. I, I can't really name anyone who really like does poorly or, or isn't worthwhile, but 
Buscemi really carries the film for me, and 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 I really do think without him, I wouldn't be as sold as the, on the movie overall. I think this, and I and I'm saying this without exaggeration. I think this might be one of the best Steve Buscemi performances. I agree, mostly because it's a full performance, and even though it is, you know, it 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 is taking advantage of what we know about the Steve Buscemi kind of personality that we've seen in a lot of films that it's very kind of three dimensional that it fits right in. I mean, it is strange. You're right. Aside from Jeffrey Tambor, we have, you know, almost uh, exclusively British accents throughout the film, but he fits right into this kind of ensemble of actors. He not only fits right in, if anything, he, he's the standout. And I mean, and, and, and it's not that Steve Buscemi hasn't shown the, uh, ability to be the standout actor in other films before or the most memorable but here he really does carry things in a way that's sort of unique in what we've covered on this show so far uh, it really is a tremendous hilarious performance i love how he he goes over the notes of all the conversations he's had with his wife before he goes to bed so they can go over them in the morning to see how his jokes landed and how his comments were re- were received I mean, that sounds like something that was pulled right from reality to a certain extent, but it's so surreal and bizarre. Uh, and there's a lot of that in the character that we see here. I do want to mention one other thing that's different about the comic. Yes, Khrushchev has a much reduced role, which I'm glad they push him to the front here, especially because it leads you to the end of the movie in a way that is a little bit more satisfying than what you have in the comic. But one of the other differences is the pianist, the one that writes the note to Stalin, played by Olga uh, Kurilenko in the film, that the movie uh, has that just like it is in the comic, uh, very very similar. Except the comic only brings her back at the very end to get kind of her brief response to the death of Beria. But in the movie, they keep bringing her back as a sense of tension where the note could come somehow, you know. And I think that that's meant to soften the Khrushchev character a little bit because their their um, their fates are entwined. Because she was the piano teacher for his daughter. That's not in the comic either. I don't know if that's pulled from any sort of reality. I don't think it is. So there's, I don't really actually like that. That they try to kind of create a sense of continuity with this character. And this sense of menace for a single person. Simply because a single person is important. But there's already, we see like masses of people murdered. Who all are just as sympathetic to, if not more so. uh, Because they've had no control at all over their own fate. Uh, but just going back to Steve Buscemi, I think that um, if you are a Buscemi fan and you sat on the death of Stalin uh, because maybe you don't think that he uh, is as central to it because it is an ensemble, that you really should check it out because he really does, considering the the quality of the cast here, he really does steal the show. I think it, I think what we're seeing is an Ianucci thing. Ianucci really likes having some character, from what I can tell, yeah. who you're rooting for, but who's still an asshole. Yes. Like that's like that's important to a lot of his other pieces. That's and that's very that's very astute. That's very true, yeah. And I think that's who Khrushchev is here. I think it's a bit of a bummer that he is that only in that it it, it well I don't know. It, it may be a bummer. It might not be. Uh, you know, to me, it humanizes Khrushchev maybe more than the real life Khrushchev deserve. But the reality is, I don't know if that's true because right. I don't know shit about Khrushchev. You know, other than that, he was the next person, and then he eventually was replaced because that's how that shit works. Um, so I, you know, what the fuck do I know about Khrushchev? But uh, I do think like. Uh, even though it humanizes him, the character is too, is too much of a doofus for the relatives of Khrushchev to appreciate it. Like the thing about Buscemi is even though you find him endearing at no moment does he make Khrushchev seem like uh, honorable or even like fully competent. 
Like right. he does some things right, but that doesn't mean he's actually good at this. It just means he he senses that someone needs to take charge, and it's not going to be the Jeffrey Tambor character. Like that yeah. dude all, is all just it would not take, long for this world. <laughs> all it would take is one person to make one decision, and he could be the person at the end who's killed while people are surrounding him, accusing of stuff without a trial. Right? I mean, it's it's only. Uh, it's only the the circumstances around how everything plays out, and perhaps that Beria has made Beria has made so many enemies that that brings him to power. But Khrushchev could easily have been any one of these other characters that are just constantly moving just to protect their lives. Right, and 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 you know, I don't know how things ended up, but the movie doesn't seem to suggest that Khrushchev murdered everyone. So right. maybe maybe he is a step above Berea, but <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't suggest either that we should be like rooting for him per se, which you know is is uh, I think uh, a little different, but it still kind of reminds me of Ianucci to some extent, you know. Liam O'Donnell, on the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, we are going to look at a film that I remember being, if not popular, then very much talked about in 1991, but not so much since, is 1991's Billy Bathgate. Uh, it has a kind of a, a silly title if you don't know what it's about, but it's uh, uh, about uh, a, uh, a teen becoming the protege of a gangster in 1935 stars Dustin Hoffman and Nicole Kidman. Bruce Willis is in the film directed by Robert Benton, the director of Kramer versus Kramer and the writer of Bonnie and Clyde. Tom Stoppard worked on the script for it has a amazing pedigree behind it. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to, I mean, I think this is a first watch for me. I'd have no memory of watching this film previously. Any thoughts, Liam on Billy Bathgate? I've literally never heard of it. I'm stoked because it's, there's not, there are a few things, but there's not a lot on, um, Buscemi's disc, uh, discography, no, filmography that I have never heard of. Even if there's stuff I haven't seen, it's mostly stuff that I'm familiar with. And this is one of the ones where I have no idea what this is. It's a total blank spot for me. It's so funny. It comes out right around the same time as Miller's Crossing, uh, which is a film we'll eventually get to. Uh, I wonder if it's going to compare favorably or, or not. I guess we'll find out on the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. Liam O'Donnell, if people want to check out more from uh, from How Do You Do, Fellow Kids or some of our other podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can head over to the website for our network, cinepunks.com, uh, on which we are featured with a family of podcasts as well as some writing, merch, a Patreon. There's a lot there to check out. They can also dive into our archives at our own website, cinemasmorgasbord.com. Uh, both Cinepunks and Cinema Smorgasbord are on social media. Uh, Cinema Smorgasbord, uh, our uh, Twitter account is at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. And Cinepunks is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Check it out. Uh, they can also follow us on social media if they want to as individuals, but you know I wouldn't recommend it. Well, you can follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And of course, myself at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. We will be back very soon with another Steve Buscemi classic. Good night, everybody. Night.